I know with a new year, we always have questions. What's it going to be like? Is it going to be different from the year that we've had? Now, some of us in, in thinking what 2020 has been like, we're saying we hope it's different. And I know when somebody says that, they're saying, I hope it's better than the year before. They're not saying, I hope it's worse than the year before. Uh, the reality is we as people don't know what lies in store for us. And just because, and I, and I know we all understand this, but we don't oftentimes talk this way, we know that when midnight on January 1, 2021, if the Lord tarries, uh, when that day comes, when that time comes, that doesn't mean things just automatically get a reset button because the calendar has changed a year. Uh, we might say that would be nice if we did have that reset button to where it's like, okay, we can have a do-over and what would we do differently because of lessons learned from the previous year, but we don't have that. Uh, the, the thing that we do, though, have is God's word. And one of the things that we know, again, as the Lord tarries, that will occur this coming January is there will be a change in what we call administration in the White House. Um, for better or for worse, that will take place. Uh, again, the Lord willing. I, I know many of you uh, in here are probably very disappointed. I, I, I can't speak for everybody. Uh, regarding that. I don't know how people vote. I don't ask how they vote. I don't ask my own family how they vote for things. They don't ask me how I vote for things. Um, but again, no matter what takes place in a, in a new administration, we as God's people are still given the will of our Father regarding such things. And, and I was contemplating that and meditating on that when, again, and thankfully it was something that I had been meditating on previous to Pastor Gray giving me that call on Friday evening saying, you're preaching on Sunday. Uh, so it, it's, it's something I thought, you know, this would be very applicable as we go into the latter portion of this year and start a new year with that facing our nation uh, that we need to understand what is God's will for us as a people regarding our leadership. Now, I know Brother Ken, I believe he's still teaching on uh, 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 Christianity and government um, and our responsibility as, as people. And I've not been in on his class, I assume, maybe correctly or incorrectly, I don't know, uh, if, if he's covered some of this with those that have attended that uh, class. Uh, but it's something that I believe the Lord is, has laid on my heart. And I would have you turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 2 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And I just want to look briefly with you this morning God's will for God's people regarding their leaders. God's will for God's people regarding their leaders. Now you might say, well, I didn't vote for these up-and-coming President Joe Biden, and I remember back four years ago when President Trump was elected that you would hear from people saying, well, he's not my president. Well, if you live in the United States, he is. If you're a citizen of the United States, he's your president, whether you like him or not. And I, and I have to say, we have to say the same thing regarding the upcoming president of the United States. 
That again, if on Inauguration Day he is the one inaugurated into that office, then he is your president, whether you like the man or not, whether you like his policies or not, whether you like what he believes or not, he is your president. Just like Paul would have claimed Nero as the Caesar of the Roman Empire and as a citizen of Rome, whether they were legalized citizens at birth or if they bought their citizenship or again if they were a slave from another nation Caesar Nero was their Caesar whether they liked the man or not and no matter how long the man was in office so as we we look at a passage here in first Timothy that we're going to look at just briefly you got to keep that in mind we are not called to like the person in office We're not called to believe everything that they believe in office. We're not called to agree with all of their policies, whether domestic or foreign. But there are some things we are called as God's people to do for the leaders that God has placed over us. For we must remember that, and I have no doubt about this, in Ken's class, he has looked at Romans chapter 13, where it talks about those that are in office have been put there by whom? By God. By God. What does, what does Paul say to Timothy that he is to exhort his people about? Well, we read it in these first uh, two verses of 1 Timothy 2. It says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, Paul prioritizes this. Did you catch the phrase where he said, first of all? That literally means, it's not just, okay, here's the first thing in your outline, Timothy, that I want you to understand. No, this literally means a place of rank. In other, first priority is what? Paul is saying. Now, if you read further on in this this text, you're seeing what is Paul doing for Timothy. He's really giving him an outline, if you want to call it that, or a format of what should be incorporated into the service of worship. So what we would look at, first of all, in what Paul deals with Timothy here about, that Timothy then is to proclaim to the people that he is over, that Paul says, Timothy, you need to teach them the first matter of importance when you gather together as a people is to pray for those that are your leaders. Now, this is different than what we read in Hebrews where again, I believe Paul was the author of that, where it talks about yours to submit to those spiritual leaders that are over you. Paul gives the context of what leaders we are to pray for, and that is secular authority. Dear ones, when is the last time, may I ask you bluntly, have you ever been in a church that part of the regular worship of God is verbal prayer for those in authority over us? That's a question you should ask. Because Paul says, of first importance, pray for those that are your leaders. 
Now, again, he, he states there that prayer, uh, again, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he starts breaking that down, if you want to call it, where he says four kings. What it is, it's not a breaking down. He is beginning to clarify who he means that we should be praying for all men. Now, is it wrong to pray for all men? No. Is that a possibility? No, though. No, it's not. We do not have the capacity as an individual to literally name every single person walking on this planet that is breathing right now. But we do have the capacity, as Paul then delineates in verse number two, to pray for those that are our leaders. We know them. In this day and age in which we live, we have no excuse to not know who they are. They're plastered all over billboards during voting season. We see it on the internet. We see it on the TV. It's in the newspapers. It's in magazines. You hear it on the radio. It's in conversation that we have daily. There is no reason why God's people do not know the names of those that are leading them. And Paul makes very clear in that first verse what we as God's people are to do for our leaders. And that is, again, if we want to say it generally, pray. Pray. Now, I doubt anybody in here is going to have the opportunity to go up personally to President, uh, the soon-to-be President Joe Biden, or let's just take our current president, Donald Trump. I highly doubt anybody in here has ever had or will have the opportunity to go up, shake that person's hand face-to-face and say, I pray for you every day. Now, we have the opportunity to do that with one another, do we not? I mean, I could come to one of you in here and say, I pray for you every week. What does that do for you when you hear something like that? That should encourage you. Now, again... What would that do for a man or a woman, for that matter, that is in public office to hear that there is a church in Taylor, South Carolina, who regularly prays for them? Now, again, it's not saying that they agree with their policies, agree with their personal beliefs, or even like them. But it does say something about that church to those people. That this is a group of people that are concerned enough about who I am and what I do that they actually pray for me. It's interesting. I was was, uh, reading something regarding this passage of scripture. And there was the famous Mr. Huxley who was really, if you want to call it, the uh, greatest spokesman for Charles Darwin. That was a contemporary of Darwin. Uh, his first name was Thomas, that was known as, again, obviously an atheist. He was a skeptic. He was a man that was willing to debate people. Very uh, highly intelligent individual. Uh, Again, based on this world's reasoning, he was one of the premier scientific thinkers in the 1800s that believed in promoted atheism. And there is a recorded instance in his life that as he was, again, more advanced in years, 
Uh, again, he was known worldwide for his beliefs, his attitude towards those that said they believed in God and proclaimed those things. And obviously it wasn't favorable, but there was a time where he found himself that he was at a hotel and the majority of the people that were in this hotel on a Sunday were actually going to a church service of some sort. And one of the people that Mr. Huxley had actually met and talked with over the past few days uh, was a Christian believer, and he knew this. Huxley knew this. And this man knew Thomas Huxley's attitude toward Christianity and Christ. But it got Mr. Huxley thinking about some things, and... On that Sunday, as this gentleman was preparing himself to be able to go to church, Mr. Huxley actually came to his room, rapped on the door, and asked him, would you be willing, if I was to sit down and talk with you, would you be willing to forgo going to your church service and talk to me about why you believe the things you do? And this gentleman, he said, well, Mr. Huxley, I would be more than happy to do that, but I know you, you don't believe the things that I do, and anything I say, you're going to come back with a response that I'm just not going to be prepared to be able to do because I don't have the... And he said, I am not as smart of an individual as you are. And, and Mr. Huxley said, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to guarantee you I'm only going to sit and listen to what you have to say. And so the gentleman agreed, he, and they did. They met in Mr. Huxley's hotel room, and this gentleman, I, and I don't know the name of him, but he sat and reasoned uh, with Mr. Huxley and told him why he believed the things that he did. He had his copy of the scripture on and on. And Huxley, even in his own works, his own memoirs, records how as this man was talking, he began weeping. Now, and that's, that's all of the response that we know of that Thomas Huxley, the famous atheist, had regarding that, that encounter with the gospel that this man gave. Nobody knows if, if Huxley ever was converted before he died. We just don't know. But dear ones, that, that there in and of itself, as we think about that with our leadership, we should not be a people that stop praying for them just because we would never know. We don't know how God moves upon the hearts of people. There have been numerous cases, and I think of another famous one where the man George Mueller, which many of us know about him, this man that was known as a man of prayer that virtually saw millions of dollars brought into the orphanages over in England in the 1800s because of prayer only. He refused to ask people for money. He would not do it. Part of his, if you want to call it policy, he prayed everything in. And we know that George Mueller had a dear friend that he had witnessed to for at least 30, if not 40 years. George Mueller died never seeing that man come to Christ. But on the day of Mueller's burial, that man came to Christ as his Savior. Now, if George Mueller had had the attitude, well, I'll never know, I'm just going to stop praying would we even know the result of that? It's, it's like what we read so much in Scripture. What would it have been like if Daniel had given up praying before the answer was given by the angel of the Lord? Because the angel of the Lord said, as soon as you began to pray, I was sent. 
But it was 21 days later when the answer came. What if Daniel had quit? And dear ones, I say all that to say this for a very practical lesson for us. We don't know what our prayer may actually do, even for someone we don't agree with and we don't necessarily like. I am not going to be one of those that tell you that I dislike Joe Biden. I'm not going to say that. I don't agree with a lot of the things the man believes. But he is a man created in the image of God. He is one that Christ died for. I I think of this, and this is somewhat of a sad scenario. There's uh, some friends of ours that came to visit Sherry and me. This was months ago. I think it was near the beginning of the summer. They were he was a pastor up in Maine. Uh, he and his wife now are missionaries, uh, and I I can't remember what the mission agency is that they're they're with. But they came and visited us. It's a husband and wife. I think they're the Farleys are up in their upper sixties, I believe, and just very sweet couple. And they they shared a story of how. They knew of a pastor, uh, they didn't say where, uh, they just knew this individual, that he, he was so opposed to anybody that was a Democrat, he would regularly from his pulpit call them Democrats, and he was serious. And when they heard about this, uh, they, they communicated with him by email and said, we get the indication that if somebody was a Democrat coming into your church, they would not be welcome there. And, and he, they got a response back from the guy, and they said it was a pleasant response, but they said, well, they would be welcome to come as long as they changed their views. And it was at that point that they shared with us, and the first thought that I I would dare say came to my wife's mind, and I know it came to mine, is that man has a problem. Whether he's the pastor of the church or not, he has a problem. Because, dear ones, may I say it, our Lord does not even see political boundaries when it comes to working in people's hearts. Our God is able to work in even those that we would adamantly oppose and never desire to see in public office. Why? Because Christ died for them as well. This is again one of the reasons why Paul says here very clearly that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and then I love what the fourth matter is there in this row of prayer. He says even giving of thanks. Have you ever thought that you should come January, give thanks for the person that's going to become the president of the United States. Now, as I was studying this, that thought had not crossed my mind. Now, we like to give thanks for people that we like, that we agree with, again, that we voted for, but what about the guy or the woman, whether it's local, state, or federal politics, What about the guy or woman we didn't want there? Now, you might say, well, pastor, how are we supposed to do that? Well, again, giving you the context, who was the emperor of Rome when Paul wrote this? Can you imagine Paul, when he would write these words as the Holy Spirit would give him these words to pen down, and then Timothy breaking the seal on that scroll and then reading this aloud to his congregation and they hear 
that I exhort, therefore, that first of all, of first priority, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. Who was the ultimate king that they sat under? That was Nero. Now, I know myself well enough that if I was living back then, I probably would have come up short and said, did I just hear correctly what was just said? I'm to give thanks for Nero, who hates Christians. That's what God's word says. Again, I referred to Romans 13. I just have you turn there very quickly. Romans chapter 13, verse number 1. I'd probably have Brother Ken stand up and recite it. He probably knows that by heart very well after having been teaching on this for so long. But when we read there in Romans 13 verse 1, we see some very clear words. Paul says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now again, stop for a moment. When Paul is saying that, who is he writing to? He's writing to a church not on the outskirts or in a foreign land, they're right in the hub of Caesar's power. They're in Rome. This was the capital. This is where Caesar sat in authority. And he says, be subject unto those higher powers. And then he clarifies why. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of Dear ones, when you think about what we're talking about here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when you think about what's coming up in the near future, again, as I say, as the Lord tarries, when we think about what the possibilities are that lie in store for our nation and the world at large, remember this always, those that are in authority, God chose to put them where they are. Now, it doesn't say why. It just simply says we are to remember God put them there. In other words, we are to submit to them because we're to submit to God's will. Why why are children to submit to their parents and to honor and reverence them? It's because God gave those children to their parents. Those kids had no choice in the matter. They, They were not basically given a vote. They were just given to that family. And it's a matter of God saying, your reverence to them is a reflection of your reverence to me. Why? Because if you disobey them, you disobey me. Because I'm the one that chose to put them there. It's the same thing, dear ones, with us regarding those that are in leadership. Those that are in authority over us have been put there because of God's will. Now, again, I know we are frequently the type of people that say, well, I want to know why. God does not give us that luxury frequently when he chooses things to do and not do. He just simply says, as my child, submit to it. I don't know a single parent out there, and and the ones that I'm looking at in our congregation this morning, I highly doubt that every single time when you told your child, whether it's a boy or a girl, to do something, you sat down and reasoned with them and told them, well, this is the reason why I want you to take the garbage out at this time. You just said, do it. 
Why were they to do it? Because your mom or your dad. This is frequently what we find from our God. Now, yes, there are many times throughout the scripture, God tells us the reasons why he wishes us to do things. But there are also many times where he says simply, because I'm God, do it. When we're called to submit to those higher powers and he says because they are ordained of God, they were put there by God, that's another reason why when, Tim, when Paul says to Timothy here in 1 Timothy 2, he says when those prayers and that giving of thanks is to be made for them, you simply do it because God wills it. God wills it. Now, to end this morning, I want you to look at that second verse again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the latter portion of it. It says this, For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now look at that for a moment. Paul actually does tell us a little bit, or if you want to call it, he cracks open the door of why God wants us to pray for these men and these women. It's so that we, Paul including himself there, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So you mean, Pastor Brown, that the reason why God wants me to pray for these people, first of all, is that my life can actually be more of a picture for Jesus Christ? Yep. Yep. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, not, not a period there, in all godliness and honesty. I know, again, a lot of Americans would be very content to just lead a quiet and peaceable life. And I was, I was talking with some folks out here before the service began, and we were talking about, again, how people respond to things and and one of the one of the comments that was made was again knowing an individual that just said they wouldn't know they they wouldn't know how they how they could even live without their freedom and again my first thought was you know there's a lot of places in this world that don't have the freedoms that we do and yet Christians are still thriving in those nations dear ones when we think about this reality we are to pray for those in authority over us so that we are given more opportunity to be like Christ to a dying world. Again, think about Paul and these, these Roman Christians that he was writing to or to Timothy there in the church at Ephesus. They knew the power of Caesar. They had seen it firsthand. And it was not going to stop until that man was dead. And it would probably continue with the next one that took over. And even more so, which we know it did. And yet, Paul says, in the midst of that darkness, we can be shining lights for people. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Dear ones, God tells us here that we pray... For our benefit. You want a good motivator to pray for those that you don't necessarily want in office? That's it right there. That Lord, I as your child, would be more of an example 
of Christ to the world that needs you. And again, we don't have the time, but if you were to look at the next number of verses in verses 3 through 5, it makes it very clear that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who would have all men be saved. Why did Christ come? So that men and women and children would be saved from their sin. There's another reason to pray for these people. As I said just a few moments ago, we do not know what our prayers could possibly do. But you know what, folks? And this is the wonder of our God. God could snap his fingers and every person in this world would come to him and be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. But that's not how God works. First of all, he provided his son, Jesus Christ, to come to a world taking on human flesh, going to a Roman cross, dying, buried, and rising three days later for the justification of those that would believe on him as their savior from sin. But there's another means also that we see here, and that is the, the prayer of godly people praying for the lost. I'm preaching this to myself as much as to you. Have you ever thought that your prayer life is a means by which God uses to save the souls of people? Now, I know you know that, and you would give mental and probably verbal assent, but the rubber meets the road is, are you doing it? Are you praying for these people? I think of a man like Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel served under. This was one of the most ungodly monarchs the world had ever seen, the king of Babylon had no regard for anybody but himself. And yet we see, and I firmly believe that when we read Daniel, we see the conversion of a man who was brought literally to eat grass like a cow because God chose to humble him in order to cause that man to turn to the Most High God and repent of his sin. Why do you think Daniel prayed three times a day? I have no doubt that he prayed for those that he was serving under. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius. You think of these people. And you think of a man like Daniel and you say, well, that's Daniel. Dear ones, he's no different than you and me. He was a man of flesh and blood and bone. He had weaknesses. He had fears. He battled with sin. And yet he was a man faithful in prayer. And look at what he was able to do, or I should better say what God was able to do through a man like that. And dear ones, we can be the same way. Could you imagine what it would be like in the future if we had even every single person in this? And there's, we don't have a large gathering today. But what would it be like if every one of us prayed for those in authority over us on a daily basis? What could God do through that? But we'll never know unless we do pray. The exhortation that I as one of your pastors give to you today is this, folks. Let us follow what Timothy exhorts Tim, or what Paul exhorts Timothy to do. Pray supplicate, intercede, and give thanks for those in authority over you. Not just your spiritual authorities, but even your secular authorities, whom you may not like, but God has put there in that place of power and influence. And we never know what God can do through 
your prayers and mine. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. Our God, it sobers us to think that you use weak people like us to do your will and to see it done on this earth. And we think of how you use the means of prayer to see your mighty arm move in behalf of your people and even in behalf of the lost of this world. Our God, forgive us that we have not used this more. For Lord, we are told in your word and we know that it is a truth that we have access through that shed blood of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. And that we can come to you at any time, wherever we are, and for whatever reason, and talk with you. And so our God, we do as a church here this morning that is gathered together, we come and plead for our leaders, for our president right now, Donald Trump. We pray for the president soon to be. Joe Biden. We pray for our leaders in Washington. We pray for those that are our leaders here in the state of South Carolina and also locally in Taylor's and in Greenville and in Greer and Simpsonville and all the outlying areas. Father, we pray for them. We give thanks to you for them. We give thanks that, Lord, your will has been revealed by them being in the office where they are. And God, we intercede and supplicate and pray for them that first of all, Lord, that their works would bring about a peaceable life in our midst, that we can be more Christ-like, that our godliness, our contentment, our righteousness, that our judgments would be true and honest. And that God, secondly, we pray for them that if they know not Christ as their Savior, that you would send your Holy Spirit and move upon them mightily. That they would know that there is a God in heaven that rules over the affairs of men and even their own personal lives. We ask that you would move and save them. For Lord, we know that apart from that saving grace... There is no hope for anyone. So God, we commend them to you as our leaders. We commit them and their works, their policies to your will. And Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We thank you that you opened the eyes of our understanding through your Holy Spirit to show us our need and that we turned and repented of our sin. And so our God, as we go from this place, we pray your blessing upon each one. We pray, Father, that these words that we have seen in your word today would not be soon forgotten, but Lord, they would actually be increasingly known in our minds and in our hearts and our souls to continue to pray steadfastly for those who know not Christ as their Savior. Dismiss us now, we pray, with thy blessing. We ask all in Jesus' name.